<laughs> I guess that's what happens when you're married to our communications director. You get to star in videos like that. <clears throat> uh, I've not had that experience that Mindy experienced, thank the Lord. Uh, but one of the things that causes us so much stress in life so often is how do we manage the finances that God's given us, whether it's big or small. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be living a... I've got enough stress in my life, but I don't need... Where I can eliminate stress, I want to do that. The Set Your House in Order uh, seminar is a great opportunity for all of us whether we have this much or this much, it's not just for these people, because I'm going and I'm definitely more towards this than this, um, but it's a great opportunity to eliminate some of the stress from stewarding the resources that God's given us. So I really encourage you to plan on attending that, okay? If you came expecting to see and hear Doug this morning, I'm sorry, he had a more important engagement than to be with us. This week, he and Jackie have been up at, uh, in South Carolina. Doug had board meetings at CIU, and then he had an appointment to meet his grandson. Um, and we saw the pictures last week, if you were here last week. And as Doug showed the pictures, I came to realize Doug and I have more in common than I realized. Um, we're both about the same age. I'm a little bit older than him. And we both have a three-year-old girl. The problem is his three-year-old girl is a granddaughter. My three-year-old is my daughter. So that may explain this and this. Doug doesn't have any gray hair and I've got it all. So, uh, but my name is Mike Thompson. I am the senior high and college pastor here at CFC. Woo, yes. I, I've always wondered, what our, do our college students attend worship? And I don't know, because I'm usually in senior high right now. So it's a little, I'm a little disoriented, just to be honest with you. But it's so good to have the college students right up here, right up front. I don't usually get to hang out with them second hour, because I'm usually with them third hour. So, but I am the senior high and college pastor here. I've been here a little over two years and this is only my second time to be up on stage. My first time was three weeks into my time here. So for many of you, this will be the first time for us to spend a little bit of time together. Uh, and I'm excited to be here. Um, and what we're going to look at today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. And I know some of you are <clears throat> wondering why in Isaiah, where, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a book that's usually taught from. <clears throat> in fact, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm pretty sure that Doug hasn't taught from Isaiah, at least in a long, long, long time. So I'm safe in not plowing up uh, ground that's already been planted. But uh, this Isaiah comes, this, what we're going to talk about today comes from uh, a study we've been doing in senior high over the last month and a half that we call the great invitation. All through Isaiah 55, God is inviting. He's offering this great invitation. And this morning, we're going to look at the great invitation to abundance. There is so much more, 
So I would encourage you in your time with the Lord this week to spend some time in Isaiah 55 because it is some great stuff in there, some profound truth that God is inviting us to be a part of. Now, normally when you come to, a, especially an obscure passage like this, you want to give context first, but this invitation is so great. With your permission, I'd like to just rip it open right away. I, I have a three-year-old daughter, but also eight-year-old son, and Luke, my eight-year-old son, loves when the UPS guy shows up at the door. He doesn't even know what it is or who it's for, but if I'm home, I can't even beat him to the door, and if I'm at work and come home, whatever it is that came, if it had my name on it, is now opened, because he grabs that box, that package, grabs the scissors and cuts it open, because he is so excited that we got something. He doesn't even know what it is or care what it is. And I want to invite us to posture our hearts the same way my eight-year-old son does this morning because it's real easy to sometimes get an invitation in the mail and think, another one. Before coming here to CFC, I had the privilege of serving at CIU, Columbia International University, um, for about 15 years. Now, when I was a student there, it was called Columbia Bible College, but we had then, and the good thing is this, well, I don't know if it's good, but the tradition still lasts there 15 years, well, 30 years later, that we called Columbia Bible College, Columbia Bridal College, because so many people met their mates there. Doug and Jackie are a perfect example. And I, I wasn't smart enough the first time around. I had to go to CIU twice, way back when Doug was a student. And then 20 years later, I went back because I couldn't find my wife the first time. I tried, not so successfully. But I went back the second time, went back to seminary and worked there. And while I was there, I met my wife, Cindy. And so Columbia Bible College, Columbia International University, is affectionately known as Columbia Bridal College. And so every year in the 15 years I worked there, between March and October, I had the holy privilege of getting lots of mail and tons of invitations. Sometimes I'd get as many as 15 invitations to weddings of students who met their mates there. And it was awesome because usually it was students who I had invested and had the opportunity to really connect with. And I'd get to go and celebrate their wedding, one of the most important, significant days of their lives. And, and it was awesome but I want you to put yourself in my shoes for a second. So you get 10 or 12 or 15 invitations in about a six-month period. Okay, picture this. I've just sent the students off. I was the director of residence life, so I just kicked them out of the dorms. 
And sometimes that very weekend or the next weekend for sure, I would show up at a wedding and see these same people that I just kicked out saying, have a great summer. There were some summers for Cindy and I where we didn't go on vacation really. We just planned, all right, where are we going next weekend? And and please don't hear me wrong. I loved being part of these celebrations. But there was sometimes in my cynical heart a nagging question that would come up. This invitation to this great celebration is so awesome, but... Ladies, maybe you've never had this kind of thought, but I guarantee you there's at least one man that knows what the thought that was running through my mind was. What's it going to cost me? I mean, we we had to finally establish in our budget a category that was just weddings. Because you got to buy a gift. If it's out of town, you got to have a hotel. And, and, and so sometimes when I'd come to my mailbox and get an invitation, I'd say, oh, not again. <laughs> and if we're not careful... We're going to open up an invitation today. And we're going to think, "Ah, not again. So before we dig into God's word, I wonder if you would just for a second, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I know that many of you have many things going on. In fact, when we finish at 1215, I'm going to get in my my car raced to the airport to get on a flight to go meet students who I already had to send ahead in Texas. So I'm a little distracted myself, but I wonder if we would posture our hearts, say, Lord, I want to receive this invitation. Lord, I don't want to have another not again moment. So Lord, would you speak? And as you speak and invite me to this, Lord, would you help my heart to be excited and embrace this invitation you have for us? God, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this great invitation to abundance, Isaiah 55, let's look at the passage. Isaiah 55, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And that's me right now. Boy, I, I, I can appreciate more. I've only done one hour. This is hour two. I've got another. And, and I've been drinking. Uh, this is probably my fifth one of these this morning because for some reason I'm thirsty and thirsty and thirsty and nothing's working. He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. 
according to the faithful mercies shown unto David. So God has this great invitation to abundance, to an abundant life that he's offering to these people. And the question is, who are these people? Who are these people? Well, let me give you the context. Isaiah was a prophet during the time of the divided kingdom. You had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And he is prophesying, speaking the words of God about the time that Israel is wiped out by Assyria. And Isaiah is writing, communicating God's message to a broken people. And in fact, these people are so broken, I want you to, we're not going to turn there, but it's Psalm 137. I encourage you to read it sometime. Psalm 137 is the psalm of these people who are receiving this invitation. And here are some of the words they use to express the cry of their heart. They say, by the rivers of Babylon, we wept. Our musical instruments, our hearts, we hung them on a tree because how can we sing the songs of Zion when we're in a strange land? You see, these people that are, God is about to invite here are the people of the exile. They're over a thousand miles away from home. So they're refugees in a foreign country with a foreign language. And they've watched their city be utterly destroyed. Now that's hard for us to imagine, except when you stop and realize that over the last month, we've seen some pretty big destruction. Houston, was, some parts of Houston were devastated by Hurricane Harvey. Some parts of Florida were destroyed by Hurricane Irma. Those are natural disasters. And then a man-made disaster happened in Las Vegas where hundreds of people's of lives were changed forever. Some went to eternity apart from Christ. We may not have personally experienced that kind of destruction, but our world is full of it, of destruction and devastation. And that's what these people experienced. They watched their city burn to the ground. They watched their temple destroyed. And, and that, is, that is hard for us to wrap our brains around. But, but for them, the temple was God's presence literally right there with them. And when they saw the temple destroyed and they were taken off, they knew that not only were they physically far from their homes, but they were spiritually far from their God. And for many of these people who are about to receive this invitation, they will never get to return home. It kind of reminds me of uh, folks who had to evacuate New Orleans after Katrina. Many never went back home. Now, by the grace of God, they've established lives in other places, but they've never gotten to go back home. That's who... God is inviting. And that's why they wept. But that's not the only reason they wept. Because there's a reason they're in exile over here, far from home, far from God. And it's because of their sin. Because 
They chased after other gods. And so these people are crying and weeping because they've lost everything they have. And and in their minds, they think God as well. They think they've lost their hope. That's the people. Now, I want to hone in real quick on their king. One of the kings of this time was a king by the name of Manasseh. If you don't know about him, I would encourage you to read in 2 Chronicles 33. It is one of the most unbelievable stories of redemption that we have in Scripture. Manasseh became king when he was 12 years old, and it says as a 12-year-old, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he reigned for 55 years, longer than any king. And the Bible doesn't tell us all the evil he did in the sight of the Lord, but it gives us a few snapshots. One of those was this. In the nation, in the land of Israel, there was a place called the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. And in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, they set up statues and of other gods. And one of those other gods was the god named Molech. And if you're not familiar with Molech, here's what he looked like. He was a statue with feet spread and arms extended like this. And those who worshiped Molech, including Manasseh, the king of these people, They would bring and build a fire at Molech's feet that would get so hot and so high it would extend between his arms. And they would bring their sons as living sacrifices to the god Molech. And the king of Israel, God's chosen people, was one of those. And as he went... So went the people. So that's one snapshot. Another one in 2 Chronicles 33 is this. It says in 2 Chronicles 33 that that the streets of Jerusalem were filled with the blood of the innocents. And tradition says that Hezekiah was the one who killed Isaiah. Isaiah was martyred. And tradition says that it was Hezekiah that had him murdered. So these are some broken, messed up people that we would look at and say, they're throwaways. There's no hope. They are so far gone. And I know this because when I served at CIU, one of the great privileges I had was to teach Bible classes in the state prison right across the river from our campus. And when I was first asked to go, I thought, I've never been to prison. I don't know. I want to go to prison. I, and, and my thought was, why would I go to prison? Because those people, it, it was a fleeting thought, but it was a thought. These people, many were in for life. You don't get put in for life for doing kind of bad stuff. You get put in for life for doing the worst of the worst. And I could tell you stories of the worst of the worst, but I won't. 
And when I first went in, I thought, these are people who are hopelessly broken. And the, the amazing thing that God did for 10 years reminded me over and over and over, Mike, there is no one so broken that I don't offer myself to, that I don't give this great invitation. And then the Lord reminded me, as I got to know these guys and live life with them, they're really not much different than me. They just did some really bad stuff that honestly, if I admit, I was heading down that road myself. And so God reminded me that I was the people that he invited in Isaiah 55. <clears throat> who is God inviting to this? Well, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money. God is inviting the thirsty and the broke. Now, I want to I wanna caution us right now because when we <clears throat> hear thirsty and broke, it's hard for us to wrap our brains around that experience because we have the privilege of living in a country when we do get thirsty, we can just grab a bottle of water and get our thirst quenched. And many of us don't know what it means to be broke. I mean, Scripture tells us that we're all broke, but that's not our experience so often. When I was 12 years old, I, I learned a little bit. As much as a 12-year-old mind can embrace, I learned what it meant to be broke. And I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and this was probably late January, early February. If you've not been to Detroit, that's okay. You're not missing much. Uh, in fact, a lot of what was Detroit when I was that age is gone. Houses gone, buildings gone. But I came home from school late January, early February. It's probably zero or below. I know it's cold enough that I ran from the bus to my house because it was cold. And I walk in the house and I flip the light on. My mom and dad were at work. I flip the light on and the light doesn't come on. And I thought, oh, the light bulb went out. So I start walking through the house to flip the next light on. And, and as I'm walking through the house, reality set in. Because all of a sudden I realized I can see my breath. That happens outside, not inside. It was so cold in my house because the power had been cut off that I could see my breath. And I realized in that moment that somehow, some way, I didn't know the circumstances, but we were broke. I mean, when you can't pay your power bill, you're kind of broke. Because that's one of those necessities of life. And my thought was, how am I going to survive the night when the power is out and I can already see my breath? I experienced the anxiety of being broke. Some of you understand that better than others. 
But the reality is most of us have not lived this experience. We go experience that when we go to other countries and other cultures, but that's not how we live. So the temptation is to say, well, that's not me, so the invitation isn't for me. But I want you to look. He's inviting not just thirsty and broke, but let's look. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? So now he's inviting first the thirsty and broke, but now he moves over here and says, wait, I'm inviting the people who have money. We all have money to be able to buy things that aren't bread. In other words, the, more than the necessities. Now, we may struggle with, I don't have enough money, but I think most of us in this room would say that we fall in this category, that we have money to be able to buy things that aren't bread, right? So he's not just inviting thirsty and broke, but he's inviting those who have money, a term we would use is wealthy, now, don't get hung up on that because you're going to say, well, I'm not wealthy because millionaires are wealthy, but no, go a lot of places in our city and go anywhere else in the world and you're going to see that we are wealthy. But look what happens is we're spending money for what is not bread and your wages on what does not satisfy. That's us. I live there. I'm not thirsty and broke, but I am definitely wealthy, but so often empty because we, we live in this tension, if we're going to be honest, don't we, of, of, of having plenty, but it doesn't satisfy, don't we? Do you struggle with that? I know I do. And I'm not just talking about stuff. I, I like stuff as much as the next person. I'm not talking about the next new vehicle, the next bigger house. or That could be some of it, but, but it's not just material things. But it's also, we are wealthy relationally and wealthy uh, in so many ways. We can, the things that we seek to satisfy us aren't just the material things. Because some of you, you do a really good job of being very disciplined in that, but we seek satisfaction maybe in relationships, or we seek satisfaction maybe in causes, or we seek satisfaction maybe in ideas, or we seek satisfaction in politics. There's a lot of ways that we spend. When he's talking about why do you spend your wages, it's not just money, it's our treasure and our time. And I, at my worst, I don't live here very much, but I definitely live here. And I would venture to say that is, that is a good description. At our worst, not in every moment, but at our worst, that is us, the body of CFC, that we are wealthy, but often empty because we live in this struggle of looking for things that will satisfy. And God says... No, I'm offering this great invitation to you. Don't spend money for those things that are empty. So those are the people that he is inviting on this great invitation to abundance. But then he tells us what the invitation is. He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come 
buy and eat. This invitation is an invitation. I want to remind you, initially, when God first wrote these words through Isaiah, this invitation is an invitation who, to people who had lived out their flesh to an extreme. And I don't want us to miss this because, because they were really broken and really knew it. And there have been times in my life where I've been really broken and really known it. And I believe the lie that there is no invitation for me. And for those of us who have experienced really broken and really known it, like these, God still offers this invitation. And he says, he says, come, come, come and not only come, but buy, buy. And eat, come by and eat what? What is good, he says. What is good. So I want you to see this. There's this quality that God offers. He says, I've got good stuff for you. I've got good stuff for you. Not just stuff that's good for you. Vegetables are good for us, but not all of us like to eat vegetables. But Eat what is good, and, and there's a quality to what he's offering. If you don't believe me, well, Isaiah uses this imagery here of those who are thirsty to, to help us understand the depth of this invitation. Everyone who thirsts, see, all of us can identify with being thirsty, right? All of us can. So he's using an image to help us understand what he's offering. So first, he says, come to the waters. Well, water, to drink water, and water sustains life. Water keeps us alive. And so for some of us, we've accepted the invitation to drink water to keep us alive. So we've moved to use CFC's... Um, strategy and terminology, we've moved from the coffin to the crib. We are no longer dead. We're now alive. But that's not all he offers. That's an awesome offer, but that's not all he offers. If that's all he offered, that would be great. Our eternity is settled, but that's not all. Because look what he says. Come to the waters which sustain life, but also come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. See, there's a, he's using this imagery of thirst to help us understand it's more than just water. It's more than just life insurance that he's offering. For some, they move and say, I'll accept the invitation to drink water. But he says, no, I want to offer you something more. <clears throat> I want to offer you milk, which doesn't just keep you alive, but it grows you. So, so to use the terminology of CFC, God is offering to us water, which takes us from the coffin to the crib. But then babies don't stay in the crib. Mother feeds them so that eventually they can move from the crib to the table. 
And God says, listen, I, I've got, I, I don't want you to stay in the crib. I want you to drink milk, which will grow you. But he doesn't stop there. If all he gave us was water and milk, that'd be awesome. But he doesn't stop there. I want you to see this. He gives us wine. He says, come drink wine. And wine in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, always indicates a life of joy and celebration. In other words, he offers to us, to you and I, a life with purpose and value and meaning. One of the great privileges I have working with students is I oftentimes have gotten to help them figure out that there's more to life than what they see in front of their eyes and help them figure out and discover what did God make me for? And God says to broken people who are really messed up but also wealthy who think they're self-sufficient and yet not satisfied, he's like, no, no, I want to give you not just water, not just move you from the coffin to the crib, not just move you from the crib to the table, but how did God design us to live life? Moving from the table to the stove where we're doing what God made us to do. One of my favorite movies, and if you're younger, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, so I apologize, but there's a movie that came out years ago, Chariots of Fire. It's a story of Eric Little, who was a British runner, and he ran in the Olympics. I won't unpack the whole movie. I encourage you to go watch it, but there's a line in there. Eric was, grew up in China as a missionary kid, and he's back in England doing training, and he knows he, he, he knows God wants him to go back to China, but he's got this thing called the Olympics. And his sister is talking to him and says, listen, listen, Eric, China needs you. And he says, Jenny, Jenny, I, I know that, but this is what I know as well, that when I run, I feel God's pleasure. See, Eric understood that that God had made him for something and he wanted to live a life of drinking wine and celebrating life the way God intended it. Jesus, listen, Isaiah is saying something 700 years before that Jesus said, we read the verse earlier, John, John, John 10, 10. What did he say? I came that you'd have what? Life. And what kind of life? More abundant this is the same invitation. So, so God is offering to you and I this unbelievable, deep invitation. And there's a quality and quantity that he offers to us. And, and as I drink water, and as I drink milk, and as I drink wine... He tells us what will start to happen in our lives. Look what he says here. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Delight yourself in abundance. Now, honestly, I don't like this word delight. I don't like this word delight for two reasons. First of all, 
as a guy, and, and the crazy thing is I'm a feeler. Anybody that knows me say, Mike, you're a feeler, not a thinker. And so you'd think I'd embrace that word, but there's something about that word that just kind of gets all over me. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like when somebody's scratching nails on a chalkboard, delight. Yeah. That just sounds too, I mean, I'm a feeler, but this is, this goes beyond feeler. It's now touchy feely. And, and for some of us, we're like, ah, I don't like to delight, but the reality is we all delight in things. We just sometimes don't acknowledge it. I stayed up way too late last night hoping to delight in my Michigan Wolverines coming back and winning a game they didn't deserve to win. And foolishly, I stayed up way past my bedtime and they, I didn't have any delight. <sighs> oh, that hurts me to say that. But I can revel in the fact that most of us in this room didn't find delight yesterday either. So, yeah. So misery loves company, I guess. But, but so delight is a word I don't like because it's, it's just a little bit e. But also, it's a little hard to really wrap your brain around. And, and so as I was praying through and talking through this with the Lord, I I think he gave me a picture of what delight is. So guys, if, you, if you're like me and you're like, eh, delight, ah, let me paint you a picture because this is a delight and we've all experienced it, or I hope you have. About 10 years ago, standing on a stage much like this at CIU, I was standing there, not dressed like this. I had a suit on and a tie and my students were like, whoa, we've never seen you like this but it's my wedding day. And those doors in the back of the auditorium opened up. And I experienced delight like I'd never experienced to the degree that I did not stay on this stage, but ran to go get my bride. Guys, that's delight. And whether we wanna admit it or not, my wife loves when I admit that, but I don't like to. But whether we like to admit it or not, we know what delight is. And God is inviting you and I to delight in abundance. To delight in abundance. I want you to see this. There's this contrast. He's talked in the passage about things that don't satisfy. So there's this unsatisfaction as opposed to delight. Now, of course, if I said, well, would you choose unsatisfaction or delight? Every one of us is going to say, of course, delight. But not only is it unsatisfaction versus delight, but over here again, you have emptiness versus abundance. And of course, every one of us would camp here. And yet, we often don't. You know why? Because it costs us something. It costs us to have this experience of delighting in abundance. Let's look at the passage. Oh, sorry. The invitation is delight in abundance. But it costs us. He says, come buy wine and milk. Whoa, whoa. Without money and without cost? Wait a minute, Mike. You just said, and we know intuitively, it's going to cost us something to be over here. But he says, no, it's not without cost and without money. This invitation is without cost and without money. Or without money and without cost. 
So something doesn't add up here. If, if I know intuitively that living over here is going to cost me something, how do I reconcile this with what Isaiah said? No, no, it's, it's without money and without cost. So the question is, that should come to your mind is, okay, Mike, how do I receive this invitation? And as I've studied this passage, I believe there's a progression, a logical progression here. We can't buy this invitation. There's nothing I can do to earn this invitation. But I do have to, just like when I go to the mail and that invitation is the box, I've got to do something with that invitation. So there is something I need to do. And those some things are listed here in the scriptures. First, he says, we got to come. We got to come. We got to show up. Now, my Michigan Wolverines yesterday, last night, in prime time, only the fourth time ever under the lights at Michigan Stadium, my Michigan Wolverines showed up, right? Yeah, they showed up. They were there. I watched them on the sideline. The quarterback, he showed up. Every time it was his turn to go stand under center, he showed up. Not very well, but he was there. See, see, we're, yeah, thank you. Not last night, but yes. But there is a, we need to be willing to show up. You showed up this morning. We sometimes, when we come to the Lord to spend time as word, we show up. But just like with the Michigan Wolverines, showing up, being on sidelines, being in the right position isn't enough. Now, that was the problem. They probably thought with all those beautiful, you know, maize and blue colors on at their home stadium, they probably thought, oh, yeah, we just got to show up. But it's not enough just to come. We've got to, he says, listen. Now, this is a hard one. I can show up, but I don't like to listen. In fact, it's not just me. It's an epidemic in our culture. As I've, as I've learned, I took a counseling techniques class when I was at CIU, and boy, it was worth the money, but I hated that class because I realized day one that I am a lousy listener. And I've had people tell me, Mike, you're a good listener. So I started thinking, oh, I'm a good listener. And then I get into this class and I realize I stink at listening. And it's not just me, it's our culture. Because see, here's what we do. We listen, well, not really. Most of the time, you think about, go home today and think about the, as you go through the day, think about the rest of your conversations. And our conversations are usually marked by one of two things. First, we interrupt on a regular basis. That's not listening. My kids do it, and I'm like, why do you do this? And then when I stop myself and catch myself, uh, uh, Mike, you do the same thing. So we interrupt, or we listen to respond, which sounds good. Oh, we, you know, God calls for a response. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. We listen and respond. So I'll listen to my wife or a student just long enough with, with ears, just enough to get enough information for me to give some brilliant or wise answer. 
I don't know why anybody's laughing. It's always brilliant and wise. And Cindy has to sometimes, I was going to say grab me by the hair, but there's nothing there. So she sometimes has to grab me and look me in the eyes and say, you're not listening. See, listening, not to interrupt, not to respond, but listen to understand. God wants us to listen. And that is a discipline we are not used to in our culture. So it's, it's going to take some work. I think a few weeks ago, Doug said, Doug challenged us, go home and listen to God. Don't just, don't just read your Bible. That's important. That's showing up. But listen. But that's not enough. Some of us come and we listen and, oh, that was good. But the next thing, buy, and I added the word in. He says we got to buy. <clears throat> One of the things we do in senior high, we do an outdoor leadership retreat. Um, and I tell the students, don't sign up for this because it's miserable. Because you're going to be confronted with sin like you've never been confronted with sin before. And the first time I advertised this to our students, I said, listen, if you want to come on this retreat, here's what's going to happen. You're going to experience a little taste of hell because it's going to be miserable and you're going to be confronted with your sin and see how other people sin against you and you sin against other people. But I said, if, if you'll buy in... You will move from a little bit of hell to a lot of heaven. And I would encourage you to talk to any of our students who have been through this retreat. Because those who have bought in and said, I'm not only going to listen to God, but, but I'm going to listen to receive from God. I've watched God radically change their lives. 10th and 11th and 12th grade students who we have set the bar here for, I've seen them oftentimes go way past me in dealing with their sin and their pride and their brokenness and saying, God, and and one of the things we do is we will sit down in a circle. We'll send them out with their Bibles and then we'll have them come back out in the middle of nowhere, freezing cold. We'll say, go take your Bible and a headlamp and go, go listen to God. And one time we, on one of the retreats, we did this and it took about eight times of going, 45 minutes each. I challenge you. <laughs> That's why we call outdoor leadership challenge. So they, we'd send them out. What'd God say to you? Well, go back out. What'd God say to you? Eight times, I think it was, for 45 minutes at a time. We spent a whole day just listening to God. But here's what happens at the end of it. Man, there's such buy-in to what God's saying that our students are radically changed. God invites us to a life of abundance, a great invitation, but we've got to show up, but that's not enough. We've got to listen and we've got to buy in, but then there's one other 
progression here. We have to eat. If I invited you to my house and cooked the best steak you've ever had, put it down in front of you, and it smells wonderful and it looks wonderful, what do you got to do to experience the wonderfulness of my steak? You got to eat it. We got to do something with what God is offering. So it's without cost, but then there is a cost, isn't there? For us to live this life of abundance, to experience this abundant life, living the way God intended us to live, it's going to take some steps. And, and these are hard steps. They require discipline. They require obedience. They require me to do this all by faith. So I don't know where you're at in this progression at this moment. You know, we obviously, we go back and forth so often because our hearts are prone to wander. I don't know where you're at in this moment, but, but I would invite you to, as we're about to pray, to ask the Lord, Lord, show me where I'm at if you haven't yet. And then here's the next thing. Would you pray this? Lord, help me to take the next step this week to experience all that you have. Because what would it look like if we all started living out of an abundance of all that God has for us? What would that look like? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this unbelievable invitation to broken people who seek to experience fullness in things other than you, who want to live in the coffin or the crib or even the table but so often don't really want to experience all that you have for us at the stove. Lord, will you help us by faith to take the next step in our journey to experience the abundant life that you offer to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. If you want to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, have questions, if you'll go out that way, there are people there who can help you, pray for you, talk through some of this. Thanks for coming. I hope you have a great day.